Today's reading comes from Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 to 6, and it will be on the screen. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray again. I'm going to pray for us before we start looking at this um, short but powerful passage from God's Word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we do um, praise you. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you that you are the fount of every blessing. And we pray that this morning you would tune our hearts to sing of your grace, uh, to be captivated with Christ. Uh, we pray that we will hear your, hear your word rightly <clears throat> and that through it you might change us, transform us and even use us in your great purposes in this world, Lord. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, the Australian historian and Christian author John Dixon, who uh, I've mentioned a, a couple of times, a few of us went to hear him at the men's convention not long ago. He tells of a story uh, of an American Air, Airlines pilot, the, the pilot he calls Captain Angelo Keane. It wasn't his real name, so he's changed the name for the sake of the story. But it's a true story, okay? This is a true story. Uh, uh, Captain Keane had recently gone on a mission trip to Costa Rica, uh, on a mission trip there, and he just got really fired up. He'd seen the gospel change lives. He'd seen people, one for Christ, incredible things done in the name of Jesus. He'd he'd gone on this mission trip, uh, and he wanted to take what he'd seen back into his ordinary life, what he'd experienced there. Uh, he sort of got really fired up back into his ordinary life. So uh, he's an American Airlines pilot, remember. So Captain Keane, uh, on a trip from L.A. to New York, had an idea. He, he announced over his PA, he thought, OK, I've got a, a few hundred people, a captive audience. He announced over his PA, he said, Ladies and gentlemen, would the Christians on board today please identify themselves by raising their hands? At which point some people sort of gingerously put up their hands. Keane then urged the whole plane, the rest of the passengers, to use that whole flight, four hours flying. He urged them to use the flight to talk about Christianity with everyone who raised their hands. Uh, Or even he he invited uh, people to come and talk to him about Christianity after the flight. Um, Now, as you may imagine, it didn't get a great response, (laughs) this uh, invitation of Captain Keane. One passenger recalled that the captain called non-Christians crazy for not believing in Jesus. Uh, Added to that, it it was only a few years after September 11. So, of course, there were some people who were worried that this might be a sort of veiled threat. You know, I'm the captain, I'm in charge. <laughs> listen to me, listen to the uh, Christians or else. Uh, there were some people who even tried to call their relatives on their mobile phones during the plane. Everything worked out fine, of course. Okay, there was no issue and the, and the airline gave an apology uh, to those affected for Captain Keane's uh, uh, behaviour. But it raises for us, doesn't it? It brings up a really... I think, a really important issue for us. Um, You see, 
Captain Keane had something sort of right, didn't he? Built into the Christian message, the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus, built into it uh, is the reality that it, it's, this is a message for the world. It's a message for the world. Uh, Christian churches have, I reckon, a sort of unique thing about them. I don't know of any other society or group of people who have this uh, thing about Christian churches, which they exist just as much for non-members as for members. Uh, uh, Christian churches exist just as much for non-members as for members. And if you think about it, I I can't think of any other organisation that is like that. Uh, And what's more... The message of Jesus is for Christian people the most beautiful treasure, is it not? (laughs) The most wonderful treasure, the best news. But it also has a sharp edge to it, doesn't it? This message, it has a sharp edge to it. Uh, Jesus offers anyone a fresh start. He offers anyone a fresh start. Forgiveness and peace with God. We've sort of sung about that. We've heard about it from Colossians up to this point. Uh, But the sharp edge of the Christian message is that without Jesus, outside of Christ, we are still under the curse of our rejection of God. Outside of Christ, according to this letter to the Colossians, we are God's enemies. And that puts us in a frightening position See, the reality that God will judge humanity's rebellion, that he won't let it go on forever, uh, it gives an urgency and seriousness to this gospel message, doesn't it, that we hold and hold dearly to, uh, an urgency to this gospel going out and being accepted by the world. Uh, And for me, and I I know for many of us here today, that urgency, that seriousness is sort of multiplied when we think about those we love who maybe are not serving Christ as Lord. They don't know Christ as their saviour. So you can, I I can understand Captain Keane's keenness. You can understand his keenness, can't you? Um, Some of us might have temperaments and personalities a little bit like Captain Keane, uh, and uh, might be tempted to do something similar. More often than not, I think, many of us, I suspect, um, sort of feel something slightly different, which is we, we feel like we should be more like him, but we're not, and so we just feel guilty about the fact that we're not, or we're, we're sort of not equipped, or we're afraid. Um, well, Paul uh, turns in this, uh, what I, I've found, and I hope you've found as we've read through, to be just the most remarkable letter. He turns at this point, he turns at this point to talk about these Colossians and uh, how they can join in with this global movement of the gospel, this outward focus of the gospel going out, giving new life and giving forgiveness. He turns to the Colossians and says, how, and, and asks, and, uh, says to them how they can join in on this outward movement. Uh, it's one of the few times in the New Testament, actually, that we're given direct instruction uh, for all Christians about, how, about what we might call evangelism, about you, using our words to share the gospel uh, with our world. It's a precious passage, I think, friends, a precious insight into uh, what it looks like for Christian people to take part in this gospel going out. Uh, and I think 
I, th- I hope as we look through that we'll see that it gives us a much richer and more compelling, a more life-changing, liberating uh, picture of this joining in on God's mission than the story of Captain Keane's captive audience. Uh, it is liberating. You see, uh, for Paul here, joining in on this gospel growth, isn't, it isn't about sort of crowbarring Jesus into every possible situation and conversation. Um, it is liberating in that sense, but it is also incredibly energising for us, I think. Uh, you see, what's on view here, it's not less than Captain Keane. Okay, it's not, Paul's not saying, well, do less than him. He's actually saying something much, more, much, much more. Not less, but more. Because it's not about us, what Paul has in view here. It's not about our activity, all the programs we can put on, all the ways we can, we, what things that we can do. It is about God. It is about his program, what he is already doing, what he is doing. And it's about a whole life being gripped by that, by this reality of who God is and what he is doing in the world, being alive to that, being dependent on that and not on ourselves. Well, if you do have your Bibles, that'll really help you. Uh, As usual, there's an outline in the leaflet to give you a bit of a sense of where we're going with this. We're going to look at this whole issue of gospel growth, the gospel going out. And before we get to this passage, uh, chapter 4, these few verses, it's important for us to see um, that uh, what Paul is, see what it is that Paul's calling to the Colossians to join in with here. What is it that the Colossians need to sort of join, get on board with? Um, they had themselves, the, their story, if we've read the letter so far, their story had become swept up in an incredibly, a story that was so much bigger than theirs in the story of God. Uh, Paul could only write this letter because something incredible, something huge, something massive had happened to the Colossians. And uh, we're just going to take a cook's tour through Colossians 1 to 3 now, just to sort of set us up for hearing this passage rightly. If you were here a few weeks ago, you'll know that uh, the Colossians, right at, right at the start when we started looking at this letter, seems like forever ago, right? <laughs> uh, the Colossians, uh, they had heard and received this message. They'd heard and received this message of Jesus. It had come through a guy called Epaphras. We'll hear a bit more about him. Not this week, in, in future weeks, uh, we heard about Epaphras. He had brought this message to them. They had heard it. They'd received it. They'd believed it. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a new philosophy that they sort of tacked onto their life. It wasn't just a, 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 some new belief that they took on. For Paul, if there, he uses these incredible images through chapter 1. Uh, it's like, it, it is, not just like, it is, this accepting the message of Jesus is God wrenching them out of their slavery to sin uh, their slavery to the kingdom of darkness and planting them into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of lights. Not, not just sort of tacking on a new philosophy. They had been given a whole new identity. They'd, 
They had gone from being God's enemies to being his beloved children, his friends, forgiven, free, full in Christ. They were his chosen and dearly loved people. They had a new Lord, a new identity. We saw a couple of weeks ago, well, really over the last few weeks, how this new identity that they'd been given simply by God's grace, he'd just given it to them, they'd received it through faith. It transformed them. It set them free from every other claim over them. It filled them up. Uh, it gave them, uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, new, a new set of clothes to wear, a new ways of relating and being that lined up with who they were in Christ. Uh, it transformed their family life and their work life, what we looked at last week. Uh, it is incredible what happened to these Colossians. And it just is worth us thinking, just taking in for a moment and, and just getting with Paul here in thinking about what it means to become a Christian, to be a Christian, to be in Jesus' kingdom. It is not an ordinary thing. It is an incredible thing. It is remarkable. It is an unspeakable miracle that someone would be brought into this huge story of what God's doing in the world. You see, and it is God doing it in the whole world. You saw, we saw that back in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1, right back at the start. Paul says this gospel, the gospel itself, the gospel is sort of like a, it, it acts by itself. The gospel is going out and growing over the whole world. They'd been swept up on it, in it. <clears throat> okay. Christ is now their life. And it's the same here. Uh, what happens uh, over the last few weeks we've seen is all that Paul is saying about their new life, uh, the new clothes that they wear, the new ways of relating to each other, it's all grounded in the reality of who they already are because of God's grace to them. It's not an anxious quest to perform. Uh, it's not a desperate desire to please. It is an overflowing of who they already are in Christ, the fullness that they have in him. It transforms the way they relate to each other and in their families. And, it, and why this is important for us in this passage is it's the same dynamic going on here. We need to keep all of that in mind when we come to this passage especially. It's in, particularly important because if there are two things, I reckon, that cause the most, for Christian people, that cause the most uh, angst and um, sort of uh, depression amongst, in terms of our Christian life amongst Christians, it's these two issues, right? If you get asked, how's your prayer life or how's your evangelism going, prayer and evangelism, <laughs> is there any other two things that cause more uh, perhaps angst among Christian people? I'm not sure that there are. But do you notice, given all that's come up to this point, that is not the tone of Paul here when he talks about these two key things. It's not the tone of Paul here. It's not the tone of a kind of oppressive obligation that comes in from outside and is a great burden. If we see the story of the Colossians, which is our story too, if we see this story rightly, we will hear this call not as an obligation that condemns us and threatens us, but as an invitation 
an invitation to let this wonderful gospel shape us more and more deeply in the security of who we are in Christ, to let this gospel continue to have its way in us and shape us, not anxiously, not fearfully, but thankfully, joyfully, uh, especially in the way that we take part in this gospel going out to the world. Okay, so that's the, the story of the Colossians, which is uh, our story too, if we are trusting in Christ. And I think that's important for us to see as we come to what Paul talks about here. He sort of shifts tone in chapter 4, uh, four verse 2. He shifts tone to talk about the, the way in which God's people, the Colossians specifically, but uh, sort of all of God's people, join in on God's great mission to this world, on his great gospel going out. And how do they do it? Well, if we've heard everything that's come before, it shouldn't surprise us that much, should it, that we come to this point, and what is at the top of the list? What's, uh, for Paul, the way in which we join in God's great work, the top of the list, going out and putting on incredibly impressive programs? No, that's not it, is it? What's what's the very top of Paul's list? It's prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer. That is how God's people join in on his work in the world. He says, chapter 4, verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's two... Uh, things that Paul says really in this passage about joining in on this gospel growth, talking to God about people, and we'll look in a moment, talking to people about God. (laughs) And he has really important things to say about both of them. But here it's devote yourselves to prayer. You see, behind this is the reality of what we've seen all this far through Colossians, of the sovereign God, God's incredible sovereignty, who has, who, the, the God who wrenches people out of their, of their darkness and in slavery and by his grace gives them new life and forgiveness and freedom. Without this sovereign God, our, our evangelism is just anxious activity. But this is God's work, friends. It is God's gospel that is going out and this is a call. This is an invitation for us to join in in what He's doing. Okay, it's an expression of our dependence on God, and it is for us the central way that we join in. He says, "Devote yourself to it." If you've got your passage there, uh, if we are gospel people, uh, if we know all of this has come through, it, it, this will make sense to us. Okay, as I say, again, not as an oppressive. Uh, sort of obligation, but an invitation for the gospel to shape us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's this interesting, I think really significant thing about the Christian life uh, that it's all in sort of, there's this dynamic that happens where it's all about keeping your eyes off yourself and putting them on to Jesus, okay? Keeping your eyes off uh, on a number of different levels. Being contented, right? If you're trying to be content, it doesn't come through trying to be more content, okay? If, you, if you've ever had that experience, it comes from getting your eyes off yourself and seeing how full you are in Christ, 
keeping your eyes on Him, uh, growing in holiness uh, in, the, in the sort of gospel dynamic doesn't come through pulling up your bootstraps and trying harder to be holy. It comes from seeing the holiness of Christ, understanding who you are in Him, <clears throat> seeing who we are in Him and letting that reality shape us. All that's just to say, it's, I think it's the same dynamic here. Being devoted to prayer doesn't come through this sort of pulling our socks up, uh, being sort of more determined in ourselves. It comes from being watchful, having our eyes on God and what He's doing in the world, being watchful, what he, uh, being, seeing what He has done in Christ. Not sort of watching inwards, but watching out for what God is doing in the world. And by being thankful. By being thankful. Again, if your eyes are on yourself, it's very hard to be thankful. (laughs) Uh, Having our eyes on Christ. Being thankful for all that he has done for us. The more we know God's amazing grace and forgiveness and love, the more we'll we'll be on the watch for that grace at work in other people's lives, the more we will be thankful for it and the more we will devote ourselves to prayer. We'll hear this invitation and accept it. Devote yourselves to prayer. But Paul goes on to give them something specific to pray about and we'll, um, we'll just we'll kind of sort of quickly move through this and then um, move on to the next section which I think is really important about Uh, talking to people about God. But one more thing about talking to God about people, he gives them something specific. Um, It's interesting, isn't it, what Paul prays for, if you read through the New Testament, all the things that he prays for, and then we get this insight here into what he wants them to pray for. They are prayers that are so soaked in the gospel. (laughs) Their concern is for what God is doing in the world. A deep desire for that. Pray for gospel things. He says, verse 3, pray for us too. That's Paul and those people with him who are taking this message of the gospel out across, uh, across the region. It says, pray for us too, that God, that God may open a door for our message. That's his dependence on the sovereignty of God. <laughs> pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul, friends, I just think this is worth pausing momentarily on. It is incredible, isn't it? Do you notice what Paul does here, what he says about this open door, that God will open a door? Uh, It's important here as we read this, uh, or he says it explicitly here, Paul's in prison at this point, right? He's in prison. Uh, he has a closed door in front of him. Okay, he's chained up. He, oh, I don't, I don't, yes, he's in chains. He, he has a closed door in front of him. But he didn't want them to pray for his prison door to be opened. You see that? He didn't want them to pray for his prison door to be opened, but that God would open a door for the gospel. See, this, this bigger story that he had been swept up in, it meant more to him than his own freedom, than his own life. Uh, this is going on across the world and there's, there's so many 
stories that you can hear of this being played out so powerfully in people's lives. Um, not long ago, uh, you may have heard the news of 21 Coptic Christians who were uh, killed in Syria, oh, sorry, in Libya, uh, murdered by ISIS, by the, the group that's causing such devastation there. Uh, the, the, the whole thing was recorded, right, and uploaded, and it went viral across the world, this tragic thing, uh, these 21 people. Uh, there was an amazing interview that was recorded with one of the brothers of one of the um, Christians who were murdered. There's this incredible interview. Uh, in the interview, this brother... Um, thanked ISIS. He thanked ISIS. And you just think, what is going on for someone to thank uh, the people who may have, uh, the people who were so brutal to his own brother? Well, this is what he said. It was an incredible interview. He thanked ISIS. He thanked them because they left the audio on in the video that went viral across the world. They left the audio on. And all through it, these Christians, as they were facing uh, their um, execution, all through it, these Christians were calling out, Our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, as they were facing this. And so this brother, uh, in a really touching, incredible message, he thanked them that they left the audio on uh, because it was, uh, this message, it meant more to him this message of the gospel meant more to him than his life, than his brother's life. It was what captivated him. He thanked his brother's killers for broadcasting this message across the world on this viral video. Incredible story. There are others, aren't there, uh, of the way that the, the gospel um, gives us something so incredible, this great story to be swept up in that is more to us, even than our own closed doors that might be in front of us. We want doors to be open for the gospel. Paul says, have your prayers soaked in the gospel. Pray for the gospel to keep growing, for God to open doors. And pray for those who proclaim it, to proclaim it clearly. Um, I know that your prayers for that amongst us, but we want to pray for that, uh, for, for those who proclaim the gospel to do it clearly, uh, across this whole region, across this whole country, the whole world. Uh, that is how you participate in God's gospel growth, a central way you do it. It is not sideline activity, okay? Uh, your prayers for your uh, friends, your neighbours, your family, your prayers for gospel proclaimers, your prayers for... Uh, your, all of your prayers are at the front line of what it means to, to join in on God's global expansion of this great message. Okay, um, talking to God about people, uh, we join in through prayer, but for Paul, uh, talking to God about people goes hand in hand with talking to people about God. Talking to people about God. Verse 5, I'll just read it uh, from verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity... Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
Paul says, be wise in how you act. Be wise. Now, the way we act needs to be shaped by God's wisdom. Uh, right at the, uh, in chapter 2, Paul said, all of uh, the treasures of wisdom are in Christ. He's saying, in the way you act in the world with people who are outside of Christ, have your mindset a Christ-shaped one with his wisdom. In particular, it means making the most of the opportunity God gives you. Uh, sort of this whole idea of being watchful that we saw earlier, being on the lookout, okay, grabbing opportunities. I have one family member uh, who's uh, just remarkable. He is always, his eyes are always, he's on the lookout, okay, he's always uh, watching out. Uh, often, it's not uncommon for me to hear him say, yeah, I think so, and I think God's got so and so in his sights, you know, or yeah, God's doing something there, and I'm pretty sure that this, this guy's uh, in on God's hit list, or you know, like he's 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 got his eyes open, he's watchful, and he makes the most of opportunities. And it is no accident that this man is also a man of deep prayerfulness. <laughs> now the two go together. Be wise in the way you act, make the most of every conversation. And then he moves to talk specifically about the things that we say when we talk to people about, or when we talk with people. He says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Grace, uh, many of us have sort of um, uh, a sort of varied experience with salt. Okay, Some of us will love it, some of us love it but can't have it. Some of us don't love it. Uh, but the, what's the, the thing about salt? It, it, it sort of, you, you sprinkle it, it infuses everything, doesn't it? It gives everything its flavour. Uh, it goes over everything. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Grace is like the salt that you shake over your food. It, it, needs, it, it infuses everything. It flavours everything. This letter has, all, has been about God's grace, all about God's grace, his undeserved kindness. And Paul says, if you've been gripped by that, let it shape the way you talk. Let it shape your conversation. Uh, that sort of full of grace conversation, I think it comes when you know God's grace, not just as an abstract doctrine, but as a living reality. You know that God has been kind to you and you didn't deserve it. Uh, there's lots of ways that your conversation can be seasoned with this sort of salt full of grace. Um, some people I know are just brilliant at it. They'll just, it doesn't, it's not a forced thing, it just comes out of them. Um, uh, little references to what God's doing in their life, uh, what they call God talk, you know, you can just drop things in to any conversation. It's not, not as, a, as a sort of forced thing, as a, a natural outworking of if this is the, the great reality of your life, that you have been swept up in this great story, well, how can it not sprinkle over your conversation? But not only in what you say, not only talking about God's grace, but how you say it. It's really, I, found, I didn't see this before this week, uh, um, a fascinating little thing that Paul does here, verse 6. He says, Let your conversation always be full of grace so that you might know how to answer everyone. He doesn't say, 
do a 12-week course so that you will know how to answer everyone. You notice that? He doesn't say do it. He says let your... See, what, I'm not the, uh, they, they can be really helpful. I, they are very helpful. I've benefited from the, you know, the courses I've done, the, the, the way in which they can uh, anchor you in the, the knowledge of what God is, is doing across the world. But Paul's got in view here um, not so much your ability to come up with all the right answers on the spot. He has in mind your tone, your, your, your flavour, <laughs> the flavour that you leave in people's mouths as they come away from talking with you, a graciousness, a humility, a brokenness about you, a way of speaking that flows out of God's grace that has been given to you in all your brokenness, a bumbling answer that is gracious. It's far more powerful than a theologically correct, devastating argument that lacks love. Those, don't hear me wrongly, uh, it, the, the theology is critical and vital, but what Paul is saying here, so that you may know how to answer, know how to answer a grace-soaked life, a grace-sprinkled life that flows out in your conversation. Don't win the argument and lose the person. Okay. Um, there is just one more, sorry, one more thing before we sort of look at the end, uh, wrap things up. Uh, it is important here, I think, that there is a difference between Paul's, do you notice this as we read through, Paul's word was a proclaiming word. The Colossians word is an answering word. And this is an important difference that Paul brings out. I, I'll just briefly sort of talk about that. It, See, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. Sometimes you hear people say, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. I, uh, that's, that's not a helpful way to think about it. The gospel uh, is in its essence a proclamation, a, a declaration of what God has done. It must be proclaimed. We're going to sing a song at the end. Uh, one of the lines says... By grace, we'll preach the gospel till our dying breath. You see, this is what people gripped by grace long for. Regardless of how gifted you are at speaking, how much you can put your faith into words, that's not what Paul's getting at here. Uh, this is, however, this, this desire for the gospel to be proclaimed for Paul, this is really important, is a corporate prayer, a corporate desire. Together, God's people, what is at our heartbeat as the people of God is to see this message proclaimed. Together we do that. Uh, church, God's people need to have this commitment to preach the gospel and churches need to set apart and pray for people to do that. But what's on view here, the way the Colossian Christians in general join in on God's mission is an answering word, an answering word. And it is important, I think, both uh, to uh, make that distinction and also to say that this isn't a cop-out, okay, to, to say that the way in general the Christian people in Colossians were to join in in God's great work was 
this gracious life and an answering word, an answering as I, uh, that is a response to what people ask. Uh, it's not a cop out. It is not less than Captain Keen's keenness. Okay, it is much more. That's just what I want to finish up with here. See, there's a trap I think that it's easy to fall into thinking about this gospel growth is that we have this separate category called, it has a scary name, evangelism, okay? We have this separate thing that sits over there that we sometimes do, we usually don't, and the really spiritual Christians do evangelism, the rest of us just sort of uh, sit over here in our Christian life, we dust it off every now and then again, maybe put on an event, but do you know what I mean? There is this uh, way that we can think we, we, we separate off this thing called evangelism from the rest of our Christian life. And Paul see, wants us to see things differently here. He wants us to see things differently. This passage shakes us out of this compartmentalizing, this sectioning off of life. It is a picture of uh, what I've called, uh, if you've got your leaflets there, the extraordinary ordinariness of life with Jesus. Extraordinary. You see, the Christian life is, for Paul, on one level, it's just ordinary. Living with Jesus is just ordinary. It doesn't make you sort of float along the ground. It doesn't detach you from this world. Uh, It's ordinary. Uh, This picture is of a life that is engaged in the world, okay, engaged in relationships, in our world. If people are going to ask us questions, it assumes that we're relating. <laughs> we are in active, loving relationship uh, with the communities in which we live. It's just an ordinary life like that. But this ordinary Christian life is extraordinary. You see, to be swept up in this gospel, to be given new life in Christ, is amazing. The kind of life that Paul describes here in Colossians, free and full, secure in God's love, relating to each other, as we read the other week, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, Uh, families ordered under Jesus as our King, working with all our hearts, not to please people but to please God, That kind of life, in all its ordinariness, is extraordinary. It is extraordinary and it will provoke questions. So for Paul, uh, as we live our ordinary lives, he says, pray. Talk to God about people. Pray pray for the gospel to be proclaimed clearly. This is how we... this, This ordinary life of prayer, of living with God's wisdom of grabbing opportunities that will come if we're living like this, uh, speaking with graciousness. Uh, That is how we can join in on what God is doing in the world. It is incredible, actually, this ordinary life, joining in on the most extraordinary story of God's forgiveness and salvation. I just want to finish quickly with a story that might help ground this of a friend of a friend who came to Christ about three years ago. It is, okay, it's not an exciting story. I just want to put that out. It's very ordinary. Um, uh, 
she was a recently uh, separated single mum who was looking for friends in her neighbourhood and she sort of joined up a number of different groups and in one of them she met a few women from a local church who were part of this group. They just started chatting, became friends. Um, and then this, these people started to um, bless her in, in these really quite uh, incredible ways that had nothing in it for them. You know, they would offer to babysit her kids uh, uh, for her so that she could have a break. They helped her, went out of their way to help her find a job. Uh, in the midst of all that, the conversation just naturally got to Jesus. Of course, that was sort of uh, what these ladies uh, lived for, for the message of Jesus, that, were, that sort of their gracious talk flowed out of them. It wasn't forced. See, this woman had had some experience of churches but basically thought of Christians as hypocrites. Uh, but her experience of these women just cut across that, didn't match up to what she thought. And she kept asking her friends more questions and they kept giving their own answers, nothing spectacular. She joined up as Bible study uh, and later on, later on came uh, to their Sunday gatherings. And a few months later, she committed her life to Christ. She gave, put her trust in Jesus. Now, in a sense, there's nothing spectacular about that story, is there? It's just people living their lives, um, living their lives as gospel people, <laughs> living their lives with grace. Ordinary people in ordinary relationships. But of course, if you've got gospel, if you've if you've got gospel eyes, it's an extraordinary story. It's a miracle. It is someone moving from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. God used these ordinary Christians to do his extraordinary work. And I think coming out of this passage, for us as we think about the South Coast, as we think about our um, desire for this gospel to go across this region, this is really helpful for us to hear that God works through our ordinary lives, ordinary lives that are soaked in his gospel that are caught up in his story, that are filled with grace, that are devoted to prayer, that know that know our humility and brokenness and commit ourselves to God in prayer. That's how God works and we pray that, that, will, uh, that God will continue to work that way. This week in home groups, if you're in a home group, uh, I, hope you, I hope we can spend a good time praying, uh, putting this into action. Uh, we need to devote ourselves to that sort of prayer. Why don't we do that now, though, as well as we finish up? I'll pray for us. Our gracious Father, we do, uh, at the end of thinking through this passage, we pray that you will help us to fix our eyes on Christ, to know what an incredible thing it is to be swept up into the story of the gospel. And flowing out of that, Lord, may we hear this call to devote ourselves to prayer and may we put it into action. May we be a community of people deeply prayerful. We pray that that gospel will go out across this region. We pray, Father, for each of us in our daily lives that we will be wise in the way we act. We will make the most of every opportunity that our talk will be full of grace so that we might know how to answer everyone. And we pray that you might take that and use it powerfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.